My name's Patricia King, and today I have an exciting message for you to hear. Stop! What are you thinking? We can't make it look like Patricia King is endorsing fighting. <clears throat> Hi, folks. Uh, Chris Rosebeer here. Just want to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, and your financial contributions to continue to bring this important radio outreach to you as well as to the world. And unfortunately, we don't have the the major cash resources that... Patricia King does, but we have you, our listener audience, to help uh, support us financially so that we can keep bringing this radio program to you into the world. If you don't already support Fighting for the Faith financially, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And there are perks to being a crew member. Just keep listening to the program to find out what the latest perk is. And, of course, if you would like to make a one-time contribution, you could do so by clicking on the Donate button. Or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send that to Post Office Box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. All right, on to the program. We loved making it. We hope you enjoyed listening to it. Here we go. It's time... For another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Wednesday, August 29th, 2012. Praying for you all down in Louisiana with Hurricane Isaac. It's been interesting to uh, have the news on in the background today. Tuning in, you're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. This program is not politically correct. This program can uh, grind on you a little bit. It grinds on me. <laughs> I'm the one doing it. But uh, every week we have a, a light edition of Fighting for the Faith. And right now, it's, you know, I'm consistently able to stick it right in the middle of the week. And uh, the, the purpose for that is, is basically um, I've got a very, very busy chock full schedule when it comes to not only uh, doing pirate Christian radio production work uh, for the station and uh, producing this program itself and then executing it. Uh, but I also write and do research, uh, you know, and so there's all kinds of stuff that I have to do on a weekly basis. And so I invoke the light edition. And what I do is uh, once a week, I turn the microphone over to somebody who knows what they're talking about. They're an expert on a particular topic. Uh, try to do series, if that isn't even a word. But I try to do you know, a series where, uh, you know, on a particular topic. And uh, we just started last week a series on the book of Colossians uh, presented by uh, Ron Hodel, the Reverend Ron Hodel of uh, Faith Lutheran Church in Capistrano Beach, California. He's my former pastor. He's not currently my pastor because it would be a long commute from central Indiana to 
Capistrano Beach, California, but there are times when I miss the weather in uh, Southern California, just just to let you know. But um, So without any further ado, we're going to dive right into it. Here is uh, the Reverend Ron Hodel. This is lecture number two uh, in his series, uh, look, going through Paul's epistle to the Colossians. Here we go. Okay, Colossians chapter 1, we're going to get to start verse 3. I'm going to read, um, I'm going to go ahead and read uh, 1 through um, <clears throat> one through 14 is what I'll read. Okay, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and fellow brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. <clears throat> Just like um, overtures of symphonies have uh, uh, the, the popular music themes of the rest of the, the symphony kind of tucked into that overture, that's kind of what we find here in, in uh, these first verses of, of uh, Colossians. It's kind of like some of the themes that he's going to be getting at later on, he mentions here as kind of an, uh, as kind of an overture or, or um, preview. Uh, for instance, uh, in, in if we'd read through 20, these are the themes that he's going to be talking about later on, and he puts them all up there right away. He's going to be talking about hope, word in the gospel of God, knowledge, servant and ministers of God's word. He's going to be talking about being filled in fullness, uh, wisdom, authorities, forgiveness, Christ's full deity. He's going to be talking about the image of God. Christ is the head of the body, his church. He's going to be talking about Christ's resurrection, reconciliation, Christ's death. And all these themes are going to be coming up again. This overture is divided into three different parts. Um, if you will, verses 3 through 8 uh, is a report of those things about Colossae that has moved Paul to write to them and to pray for them and to thank God for them. And then um, 9 through 14 is a section on true wisdom and knowledge that the apostle prays that his readers will, will have. True because there is a false one out there that is being propagated in the congregation and he needs to set truth um, against falsehood. 
And then the last uh, five verses, 15 through 20, which we didn't read, we'll get to those uh, next week, is a, is a hymn uh, regarding Christ and uh, the divine Christ and his work of creation and reconciliation. So in verse 3, we always thank God. The first thing that Paul does is he thanks He's, he thanks God. He gives thanks. And this is a little bit of a pattern that falls in the Greco-Roman letters. The, I mentioned that a little bit uh, the last time. The author is mentioned first, and then the people who are addressed are mentioned second. Uh, third, there's a formal greeting, a formal salutation. And then very often, the letters would include uh, a reference to the gods of some shape or form. And so regardless of whoever else other writers were writing and whatever gods they were thanking, Paul offers thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Those are, those are packed words. Um, it's through the Son that all spiritual blessings flow from the Father. So you can kind of think of it this way. It's from the Father, through the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. From the Father, through the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. But Paul is going to mention or uh, give thanks for another reason as well. He's praying because there are grave dangers that are facing the Colossian church. The person and the work of Jesus Christ are being attacked by the heretics. And so he's going to need to make a, a defense for that. Um, he, Paul's also going to have to give some warnings to the Colossians. Okay, it's always very nice and, and, and fun to give affirmations, but warnings are a little harder to give. And so he starts off with the affirmations. You know, you're, you're ready to hear him. It's kind of like the Colossians pat on the back because he's thanking God in, in, in their presence. He's thanking God that they are believers in Christ. He's thanking God uh, that, and, and asking God to be with them and help them stand firm. And he wants the Colossians to know that he prays for them often. They're always in his prayers. And so in a, in a sense, this is kind of a pat on the back for the Colossians, a good, in a good way. Um, but he's thankful for something completely outside of the Colossians. Paul begins, thankful of Christ's eternal relationship to the Father, God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Earlier, in the first, uh, the first couple verses, the second verse actually, um, Paul reminds the Colossians that, that uh, their father is um, the God and Father of them uh, is is the the is the Father in the in the Holy Trinity. So um, the Father is the Father of the Christians in Colossae. But here he's he's starting to make another reference, another relationship, and God is first of all the Father of His Son, our Savior, and that is just those key words right there, just those few words, is what the heretics were, were going to be attacking. They were questioning um, the whether, whether the Son is truly the Son of the Father from all eternity. And Paul is going to be, be talking about that. And so now he finally gets to Jesus Christ, and if we go in all the way down into verse 8, he makes a reference to the, whole, to the Holy Spirit. And so in the first three verses, we get the, whole, we get the Holy Trinity. And it's important to know the Trinity. Um, it's important because we need to know him by name so that we may call upon him rightly. Now, Paul calls Jesus Lord. 
Lord Jesus Christ. It just, just flows off our tongues. Oh, Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. But for Paul, this is really key. And it's going to be very important for the Colossians to hear because in the Greek, uh, Kyrios is Lord. And so when the, when the Old Testament Hebrew was, um, somebody's singing. I hear a cell phone. Um, I make sure mine is off. Yeah. <laughs> That's quite all right. Anybody else want to make their song, their cell phone sing? I'm glad that you have a good ringtone. You could, there's some ringtones out there. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, uh, so, Jesus is called Kyrios, or uh, where was I? Yes, in the Old Testament, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, and then when it was translated into Greek, the personal name, the personal Hebrew name for God is Yahweh, and the Greek Old Testament translates Yahweh as Kyrios, or, or, or Lord. The challenge that the Corinthians were going to be facing was whether Jesus is fully and truly God. And so in those those few short words, Lord Jesus Christ, Paul answers that challenge. He's going to have a lot more to say about it later. But but if you wanted to do it this way, kind of the mathematical formula is this. If A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C. If Jesus is Lord and and Lord uh, uh and Yahweh is Lord, then Jesus is Yahweh. You say He's calling him Yahweh. He's calling him the God of the Old Testament. That's that's packed. That's completely packed. Um, Paul designates Jesus as true God. So from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3, it says, Therefore I want to want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is cursed, and no one says, or no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So he's right there in those words. He's calling Jesus the God of the Old Testament. We always thank God when we pray for you because on the basis of all the reports that I have been getting about the congregation, you have a sincere faith, you Colossians, in Christ Jesus the Lord. And so verse 4 says, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Um, first, he mentions faith because faith is where love and hope are, 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 are born of faith, if you will. The Colossians' faith displays itself then later on in love for, for, for others. And the love, the word love here is the word agape. It's, it's God's love for fallen humanity. It's that selfless, unconditional love that loves even if it doesn't get love back. And Paul says that the love that God has for the Colossians is the same kind of love that the Colossians are sharing with the saints that he mentions in, in verse two. Um, and, of course, love for the saints is also very often an undeserved love. You know uh, enough saints, um, fellow saints, who at times don't deserve to be loved. <laughs> uh, and yet we love them anyway because we love with Christ's love. So God's love must be the focus or the basis for, for, our, love, for our love. 
Paul talks about this love and says this is this is faith active. It's it's a love that that they have for Christ Jesus, a faith in Christ Jesus, and love that they have for all the saints because of the hope that is laid up for you in heaven. So kind of in verse 5, that next word to talk about is the word hope. Outside of the biblical teaching at this time, and I guess you could say even now, hope was largely absent. Paul writes to the Ephesians in chapter 2, and he says, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. The world was hopeless. Now, every once in a while, people would start to get an idea that there might be a little bit of hope showing up. When Caesar, when Augustus Caesar was born and, and the peace of Rome kind of got ushered in, the Pax Romana, you know, everybody, oh boy, you know, there's going to be peace. But that quickly ends when Augustus dies and Tiberius takes the throne and then more mad Caesars after him. And it kind of, it's that way with temporal hope. Um, it always seems to end. Uh, how many of us were hopeful when the Berlin Wall came down and the Soviet Union died? You know, boy, peace on earth, goodwill to men right here in our, you know, right there. Uh, that solved the problem, didn't it? You know, everybody destroyed their nuclear bombs and everybody's getting along and you don't have to worry about a thing anymore in the world. Well, how many of us were hopeful when the stock market was ticking up and every morning you woke up and your house was worth a few thousand dollars more than when you went to bed? You know, um, And how many of us are hopeful now? Um, what comes up in this world also goes down in this world. And hope wasn't existent in the ancient world because they looked at, at time as if it was a circle. Um, it's leading nowhere. It's kind of like the seasons. It, it never ends. Um, it's great that, that uh, spring is coming. We've got June gloom maybe a little early, and so maybe the sun, the sun of summer will come a little early for us. Don't count on that, but hopefully. And then, then fall be glorious, and, you know, it's, it's a wonderful time, but then winter comes, and then, you know, and it just keeps cycling around. Hope, uh, time was like a circle. Um, and it was hopeless even in the religions of their day because uh, the religions were based on were based on fear of the gods and your duties to serve the gods. Um, have you done enough? Have you sacrificed enough? Have, <clears throat> excuse me, have you dedicated yourself enough? And of course, maybe on a good day, I think I might maybe kind of come close, but then really I didn't. And how hopeless that is. And, and, uh, but with the Hebrew faith and also then subsequently Christianity, Time was seen as moving toward a goal. Someone wrote a book. It wasn't a, wasn't a Christian, wasn't a Jew. But the gift of the Jews was the idea that time isn't a circle. Time is leading someplace. Um, so in the Old Testament, they were looking forward to a greater salvation in the Messiah. Uh, there would come a time when you would have no worries and nothing else to do than to sit under your fig tree and contemplate the grace of God because the Messiah had come. And so Jesus says to Philip, even before, uh, while you were sitting under the fig tree, I saw you. You know, kind of tying those things together. And so in the New Testament, 
um, we look forward to the second advent of our King. And in that, there's great hope. Even in the face of all the temporal hope that, that goes up and down and seems to go like that, um, we have hope because we have the gift of, of our Lord Jesus Christ and his promise of heaven. And so hope is grounded on the objective death and resurrection of Jesus. And our hope, our faith is that God will fulfill those promises. So Paul's thankful because the Colossians trust the hope that was laid up for them in heaven. Faith, hope, and love um, all tied together here. Not because Paul is an eternal optimist, but because they have received these treasures of heaven through the word of the truth, the gospel, he says. This has come to you not because you're just plain optimistic people, not because the stock market's going up, your house is going up in value, but because you have heard the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you. Um, now, when we use the word gospel, we can talk about it in a couple of different senses. We can talk about gospel in the wide sense. And when we mention gospel in the wide sense, it means all of Holy Scripture. It means all the law and all the gospel, all of Scripture. That's the wide sense of the gospel. So if I... I'm a, I'm a preacher of the gospel, okay? But what that really means, being a minister of the gospel, means I need to preach the law and the gospel because we're using that word in the wide sense. In the narrow sense, we can talk about the message of salvation in Jesus Christ. Um, through the preaching of the message of salvation in Christ, the Colossians had become children of God. And all this is contrary to what the false teachers were teaching. So Paul needs to uh, emphasize the reality of the saving work of Christ and the word of Christ that's all revealed in the gospel and that this good news inspires hope. Hope for the life to come, certainly, and hope even in this life. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. You know, if you don't, if, if, if you know that you're being taken care of, you know that, 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 that you're covered, then it's a lot easier than to reach out and, and care for others as well. And the good news, if you will, is that God's got us covered. And so we can love one another even as he's loved us. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you have learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So Paul here is encouraging them to hold fast to the word of the truth, the gospel that has come to them. They've heard it from Epaphras when he preached there. And Epaphras preaching wasn't just empty words. It's the present truth of the gospel. Um, now, Epaphras, we know, was, Paul calls him uh, a faithful servant, um, probably a faithful minister. 
he, he was the first to preach the gospel there in Colossae. He stayed on as their pastor. Philemon talks about uh, Epaphras as well. In that, Paul calls him a fellow prisoner in Jesus Christ. And that could mean maybe two different things. Perhaps Epaphras was in prison with Paul. You know? Or perhaps Paul is making a reference to he's a, he's a bondservant to Christ just as Paul is a bondservant to Christ. But in either case, Paul affirms Epaphras as a faithful minister or a faithful servant. Um, Epaphras had come from Colossae and had gone to Rome where Paul was. And he went there to share his concerns with Paul about the different threats that, uh, that were coming up against the Colossians. Threats to the gospel. And uh, he wanted to get Paul's advice. He wanted to get Paul's help. And so it appears from that that, that Epaphras is carrying out his, his ministry on Paul's behalf, if you will, or under Paul's oversight. Right? Um, remember, we don't make ourselves pastors. Um, somebody calls us to be pastor. We're under authority. Um, and Paul, it seems to be, is the one who is, has the oversight over Epaphras. Now, because this is an inspired letter, Epaphras doesn't get Paul's help. He gets God's help because God inspired these words. And look how he talks about his congregation. I don't know if you remember that joke. The, the pastor, or the, I'm sorry, I just blew it. Um, uh, uh, the guy, uh, it's, it's uh, early on Sunday morning. He says, honey, I, I just don't want to go to church this morning. He says, and his wife says, you, you've got to go. He said, I just don't want to go. The people don't, the people aren't friendly. She said, that's okay. You just have to go. He said, I, I just don't get anything out of it anymore. And she said, but you got to go. He said, I, I, I just don't want to go. Well, you have to go. You're their pastor. <laughs> okay. He doesn't talk about Colossians that way. He talks about, he, he's positive about Col, uh, the, the congregation at Colossae. He doesn't grouse about the pay, the mean people, the hypocrites that are there, the problems. No, he actually tends to brag about them and their love in the spirit. And for that, Paul gives thanks. He, he's thankful for what the gospel has done in the midst of all these people. He's thankful for what the word of God has worked in Colossae. And so Paul was grateful for the work that, that, that Epaphras has done in Colossae. And Paul puts his, his stamp of approval on what Epaphras was saying. Um, the gospel that Epaphras was preaching is the same gospel that Paul was preaching, the same gospel that Timothy was, was proclaiming. Important because there is another word that is claiming to be the word of the truth, that is trying to gain attention in Colossae. And Paul knows that it's only through the ministry of the real word of the truth that his readers are going to have the blessings of the gospel, which, of course, ultimately are eternal life, and hope and faith and the ability to offer forth the, the fruit of love. That's not going to come from any place else than through the gospel. So by calling it the word of the truth, um, Paul's saying that the word Epaphras' word, Christ's word, is not some sort of fly-by-night, secretive, local sect. And uh, he's kind of inferring that that's what the other uh, teaching 
is. It's, it's secretive. It's fly-by-night. It's a local sect. Um, rather, the gospel has brought forth everything in the lives of the Colossians. And not only in the lives of the Colossians, but it's being duplicated all around the world. Sometimes, you know, it's really, sometimes you get the idea that you're the only one left. You know, you're the only one who's, who, who's getting it, if you will. And then we always have to test ourselves and make sure that, you know, we're not tr- uh, tricking ourselves into thinking that we're the only ones right. But on the other hand, it's awfully nice to know that, you know what, I'm not the only one who gets it. There are others around the world that get it too. That's, that's a very affirming thing. And so Paul's affirming the Colossians here by telling them the gospel didn't just come and work in Colossae. It's working around the world. It's working in, in the little cities of Colossae. Yes, little towns. But it's working in the big metropolitan cities of, of Corinth and Athens and Rome and Jerusalem. It's working everywhere. The word of the truth, the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and growing as it does among you since the day you heard it. And I think, was it Dr. Moss uh, was giving a little bit of the history of, of Christianity and uh, that, the, that during the first century that the growth of the Christian church was, was, was nothing short of astounding. Um, it goes from 12 apostles to several hundred followers of Jesus at one time at the ascension, at his ascension. And then, um, history, uh, the estimates, uh, that I ran into that uh, by the time of John, um, Christians had grown to about half of a, half a million people. And so in three decades, uh, three decades after Pentecost, 30 years after Pentecost, the gospel has spread from where the sun rises on the Roman Empire all the way to its sunset borders in Spain, which is exactly what Jesus had promised. From Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, and it's spreading. And of all that, Paul makes no mention of himself. He makes no mention of his labors. He simply gives all the credit to the word. To the gospel itself. It was the gospel that was bearing fruit. It's the gospel that was growing. And you can think of bearing fruit in a couple of different ways. It's not only bearing fruit in the sense that that new believers are coming to Christ. It's also bearing fruit in the sense that each believer is growing stronger. Is trusting Christ even more. So where church growth tends to focus on numbers, you can focus on church growth in another way as well. It's, It's growing in faith hope, and love. It's growing in good works. So when God works through his word, okay, Is it back up? Okay. All right. So God works through his word. And when his people are in his word, God is at work because the gospel works. And that's why uh, the best prayer books are are books uh, that that have God's word in them. Um, Maybe that's just a plug for the uh, treasury of of daily prayer that was put out by Concordia Publishing House a number of uh, years ago. If you you have treasury, who has treasury daily prayer? You can get it in book form. 
You can get it for your iPad. You can get it for your iPhone. Yeah, I imagine you can get it for Androids. Um, I don't know. You can get it. You can take it wherever you go. Um, uh, but so, but but if you uh, you work through the treasury of daily prayer, it's mostly Bible readings. Because if you will, if prayer is conversation, then where does God get His part of the conversation in? Dear God, God, are, are you there? I, I can't. Oh, here's where He has. This is His part of the conversation. So to have a prayer life, we need to be in the scriptures because that's where he talks to us. And then depending on what he has said to us, then we can respond back because God works through his word. So the gospel works not only for non-Christians, the gospel works for Christians too. It brings people to faith and it keeps us in the faith. So Paul's implications are clear. The Colossians proclaimed uh, or professed the gospel, the word of truth. The gospel's universal. It's all sufficient. It's everywhere. It doesn't need changes. It doesn't need improvements. It doesn't need to be supplemented by human wisdom. And so we're going to hear more about wisdom later on. And that's why Paul wants the Colossians to treasure the gospel and not listen to those who want to deprive them of the gospel. And it all works through the Holy Spirit. All right, we're going to pause the lecture right there. We're going to pay some bills. And uh, when we come back, we'll continue with the lecture. Now, if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can send your feedback to talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. We will be right back. Broadcasting from his mother's basement while in a beanbag eating Cheetos. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> sir can i help you yes do you have a copy of 30 days in the desert to learn your purpose and to cast the vision to the ignorant masses by s furtick qwz uh well i don't know the book sir uh, never mind never mind how about 101 ways to build a mega church and make big bucks i well some american gentleman whose name eludes me at the moment i believe his last name rhymes with shin uh no well we haven't gotten in stock sir <sighs> oh well not to worry not to worry can you help me with the screw tape letters ah yes c.s lewis no I beg your pardon? No, Harold Wapcat. I think you'll find C.S. Lewis wrote the screw tape letters. No, no, Lewis wrote the screw tape letters with one C. This is the screw tape letters with two C's by Harold Wapcat. The screw tape letters with two C's. Yes, I should have said that. Yes, well, in that case, we don't have it. Hmm, funny, you've got a lot of books here. Yes, we do, but we don't have the screw tape letters with two C's by Harold Wapcat. Hmm, pity, it's more thorough than Lewis's. 
more thorough? Yes, I, I wonder if it might be worth looking through all of your screw tape letters. No, sir, all of our screw tape letters have one C. Are you sh- quite sure? Quite. Mm. Not worth just looking. Definitely not. All right. How about the great divorce? Yes, well, we have that. That's G-R-A-T-E, divorce, but also by Harold Wapcat. Yes, well, in that case, we don't have it. We don't have anything by Harold Wapcat. Actually, he's not very popular. Not the problem of pain. That's P-R-O-A-B-L-U-M. No. Mm, the Chronicles of Narnia with a K. No. How about Out of the Violent Planet? Definitely not. Sorry to trouble you. Not at all. Good morning. Good morning. Oh! Yes, I wonder if you might have a copy of Perilous Landra. No, as I said before, we're right out of Harold Wapcat. No, not Harold Wapcat. C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis. Yes. You mean Paralandra. No, Perilous Landra by C.S. Lewis. That's Lewis with two S's, the well-known feminist lesbian theologian. No, well, we don't have Perilous Landra by C.S. Lewis with two S's, the well-known feminist lesbian theologian. And perhaps to save time, I should add that we don't have Dandy Landra by C.S. Lewis or the penultimate battle by Clive Staples' Chewbacca, or even Out of the Silent But Deadly Planet by B.S. Lewis with four eyes and a silent Q. What a pity. That's my favorite. Why don't you try Zondervan? I I did. They sent me here. Did they? I I wonder. Oh, do go on, please. Yes, I I wonder if you might have the amazing adventures of Pastor Perry Noble and his intrepid spaniel Stig amongst the giant purpose-driven pygmies of Beckles. Volume 8. No. Don't have that funny. Got a lot of books here. Well, I mustn't keep you standing here. Thank you. Oh, well, do you have... No, no, we haven't. No, we haven't. But, but, I'm sorry. But, it's one o'clock. We're closing for lunch. I, I saw it. I saw it. What? What? I, I saw it over there. Religious Bodies of America by F.E. Meyer. Religious Bodies of America by F.E. Meyer. Yes. B-O-D-I-E-S. Yes. M-A-Y-E-R. Yes. Yes, well, we do have that, as a matter of fact. The expurgated version. Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't quite catch that. The expurgated The expurgated version of Religious Bodies of America by F.E. Mayer? The one without the Lutherans. The the one without the Lutherans? They've all got the Lutherans. It's a standard religious body. The Lutherans are in all the books. Well, I don't like them. They baptize infants. All right, I'll remove it. Any other religious bodies you don't like? I don't like the Presbyterians. The Presbyterians, right. Presbyterians. There you are. Any others you don't like? Any others? The Methodists. The Methodists, the Methodists, the Methodists, the Methodists. Ah, yeah, they are. There you are. No Lutherans, no Presbyterians, no Methodists. There's your book. I can't buy that. It's torn. <laughs> I-, I wonder if you have... Um... No, go on. Ask me anything. We've got lots of book here. You know, it's a bookshop. How about Osteen brushes his teeth? No, no, we don't have that one. Funny. Uh, the Gospel According to Rob Bell. No, no, no. Try me again. Uh, I know. Uh, Martin Chemnitz is the two natures in Christ. No, no, no. What, what, what? what? Yeah, Martin Chemnitz is the two natures in Christ. Martin Chemnitz is two... Na- Yes! We got it! I see it somewhere! Yes! I found it! It's here! Got it! Yes! Here we are! Martin Cumnitz's Two Natures in Christ! There's your book! Now buy it! I don't have enough money. I'll take a deposit! I, I don't have any money! I'll take a check! I, I don't have a checkbook! I got a blank one! I don't have a bank account! Right! I'll buy it for you! There we are! There's change! There's some money for a taxi on the wait, way home! There's wait! Your book. Wait! Wait! What? 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 I can't read! You can't! Read. Right? Sit down. Sit down. Sit, sit. Are you sitting comfortably? Right. Chapter one. Because the person of the incarnate Christ is made up of two natures, the divine and the human, united into one hypostasis, there follows from this a communion of attributes. (laughs) 
Hello, I'm Brandon House with Worldview Weekend. I want to invite you to visit our website, worldviewweekend.com, and find out about my brand new book, Religious Trojan Horse. This is a book I've been working on for two and a half years, and it describes in great detail how the left and the right are coming together both religiously and spiritually to build a false dominant church. You can find all the details at worldviewweekend.com. Again, it's Religious Trojan Horse. It's 500 pages, over 600 footnotes. Now, while you're at worldviewweekend.com. I'd like you also to check out our Situation Room. You can have access to over $8,000 in Biblical Worldview Weekend resources, including over 1,400 MP3s of my daily radio show and Biblical Worldview Weekend keynote presentations. You can also watch about 150 of our Worldview Weekend DVDs on demand as a member of the Situation Room. Full details for that are at situationroom.net. Situationroom.net. You can also visit our website and find out about our free Biblical Worldview Weekend rallies held all over the country. All the details are at worldviewweekend.com. From the creators who brought you Bible Pants and Vision Lax comes the brand new super special awesome comedy album of the 21st century. Max Holiday's Birdcage Theater of the Budgie Cuts. Part 2. We here at Pirate Christian Studios have been hard at work crafting this album for maximum quality and hilarity. You'll cry. <coughs> You'll laugh. <laughs> You'll scream. <coughs> And you'll have uncontrollable flatulence. Just stick to the script, please. So sorry, um... Buy it now while stocks last. They download it. There is no supply which to run out. Oh, so you mean they can just go right onto iTunes and download it? Yes. Like right now? If they want to, yes. Oh. Well, the heck with this commercial. I'm off to buy it right now. Max Holiday's Birdcage Theater, The Buddy Cuts, Part 2. Disapproved of by heretics everywhere. Get it before they do. All right, we're back. Uh, warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to become supremely dissatisfied with your church, especially if your pastor isn't preaching God's word, preaching Christ, and preaching the gospel to you. You need it every week. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions, in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world. And the way you partner with us financially is to visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com, all one big word stuck together. And then uh, right when you arrive there on the homepage, you'll see in the middle of the page uh, two friendly yellow buttons. One says Donate, the other says Join Our Crew. The uh, Join Our Crew button when you click on that, you are signing up to automatically contribute a mere $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith in Pirate Christian Radio. It's a great way to support us. The more crew members we have, uh, the more our financial giving becomes pre- uh, predictable so that uh, we can budget properly and make budget. And, of course, if you'd like to make a one-time uh, contribution, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 5 5- 08 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Okay, here is the balance of uh, Reverend Ron Hodel's second lecture on uh, his series regarding the book of Colossians. Here we go. All right, let's go to 9 through 11. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, 
so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So in that verse, you can kind of see Paul's mentioning prayer again, what a, what a man of prayer Paul was and how he encouraged um, by his praying, he encourages us indeed uh, to pray as well. In all of his letters, I think it's in all of his letters, Paul, I think most always begins by, by giving thanks and by, by uh, remembering to the people that he's praying for them. So it's an integral part of Paul's ministry. And that's because Paul believed in prayer. Now, I always like to say he didn't believe in prayer. He, or he didn't even believe in the power of prayer, if you will. I mean, he, believed, he, he believed prayer is powerful because of the object of our prayers, our Lord Jesus Christ. Point, like, is, it has to do with what, who you're praying to. A prayer, if you're if you're um, uh, Mormon, is prayer powerful? If you're Jehovah's Witness, is prayer powerful? That we're all kind of equal in our prayer power? No. What makes prayer powerful is we're praying to the one who is the God of all power. All right. So that's who he prays to. Um, Paul's assuring the Colossians that he's praying for them that it's a daily routine. Paul prayed about the entire Christian life with the Colossians, and that's probably what, what, what's very noticeable here. Think about what, he's, what he prays for and what we often pray for. Right? We tend to be prone in our prayers to pray for physical or material things, and, for, and, and that's not wrong. That's important. We should, um, not to pit one against the other. Um, but Paul here prays for spiritual things. Um, I, li- I like the, the different quotes that I've run across when it comes to prayer. Uh, there is an Episcopalian priest by the name of Capon, and I quoted him a little bit ago uh, in a sermon, but he said of prayer, Ask for whatever, as dear children ask their dear father. Um, tell him anything that's on your mind. Be as specific as all get out. Good, bad, pious, impious, joy-filled stuff or anger. It doesn't matter. He's your dear father, and he's a lot easier to talk to than any other dear father you've run into. And don't worry about whether you come up with any bright ideas or not, because it's not your bright or dim ideas he wants most. It's you. So you can bring anything to your father. You can bring anything to your heavenly father. Luther talks about praying the catechism. And when he talks about praying the catechism, he talks about praying the Ten Commandments, which show us our sin. And then saying, praying the Apostles' Creed, which points us to our God and our Savior. And then to pray then the Lord's Prayer, which is a prayer that teaches us that our life is totally dependent on God for all things, spiritual and temporal. From forgive us our trespasses, a spiritual thing, to uh, uh, um, uh, just give us this day our daily bread. Thank you. Um, And Luther went two ways on daily bread sometimes. Originally he went with daily bread is Christ. 
And then in the catechism, he went daily bread are the, all the things of this life. But either way, um, pray that pray the catechism, Luther says, or Dr. Kleinig. If you if you have Dr. Kleinig's book on grace upon grace, he has a whole wonderful section there on prayer, um, and he talks about it in the sense of that we're friends of the King. Um, no longer do I call you servants. He based it on from from John chapter fifteen, verse fifteen. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from the Father, I have made known to you. Um, and so the the, uh, the the friend of the court uh, can write an amicus brief, you know, as a friend of the court. And God no longer calls us servants. He calls us friends because we're friends of the court now. And it's not like we're, we're servants out here who just do the Lord's bidding, but we have a word with the Lord. We're on the inside. We know why he's doing what he's doing, if you will. He speaks to us through his word. So this kind of different thoughts about, about uh, prayer. But Paul's focus here is, is spiritual because he knows that the Colossians and us as Christians are ultimately, we're ultimately involved and engaged in a spiritual battle. And the truth is the outcome of that battle is the most important thing that's going to happen in life. Now, I want all the temporal blessings and all the good things of this life I often pray for, for myself and for my family and for you as my congregation. But the most important thing is that we all die in the faith, trusting Jesus Christ for our salvation. That's the most important thing because we can have all the things in the world. It'll mean nothing if we don't have faith in Christ Jesus. So Paul says that from the first time he heard of the Colossians, he and, and Timothy and others, he remembered them in his, in his prayers, praying that the Colossians would receive even more of God's rich blessings. Rich blessings like knowledge of his will, spiritual wisdom, and finally understanding. And reading between the lines there, he's, he's going to be uh, mentioning some of these things because these are the, this is what's going on in the situation there at Colossae. In his prayer, Paul prays for the Colossians' entire Christian life. In verse 9, he prays for their faith, that you be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And then in verse 10, he prays for their living out of the faith, that they walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. In verse 11, he prays that they have strength when they meet resistance that they are strengthened with all power. And then in verse 12, he prays for the final outcome of faith, that they receive the inheritance of the saints in light, eternal life. And so kind of using that as a guide, we're going to kind of work through Paul's prayer here. First thing he prays for is, is that they be, be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. He prays for their faith, um, that they have a clear knowledge of his will. And uh, if you will... There, uh, he brings up God's will here because with the Colossians, there's another will that wants to fill them. Um, and the same is true for us. Uh, there's Satan's will. Um, if God's will is that we be all saved and come to the knowledge of the truth, Satan's will is the exact opposite of that. Um, there's the world's will, which is in collusion with Satan's will. And so is my will as well, at least the will that I have by nature. Um, there's 
our fallen wills that will lead us down the primrose path. And in the case of the Colossians, there's the will of the heretics out there, the false teachers in town who want the Colossians to adopt their will. So whether it's Satan's or the world's or yours or a heretic's, any will other than Christ's will will rob you of true knowledge. And so Paul's getting at uh, uh, here um, that they have a knowledge of God's God's will, which comes to that word knowledge. Um, the false teachers were promoting another kind of knowledge. Um, it's knowledge they asserted was hidden. It was hidden from the majority of people. And later on, to get that knowledge, you were going to have to pay for it. It's a good way to make money. Um, we have some secret knowledge, and if you pay me enough, I can get you to the next level. All right. Um, so it's a secret knowledge that can be paid for. It's hidden, um, and you need to pay to be initiated into the mysteries of salvation. Some say that all of this was a very early form of what later became Gnosticism, which became a full-blown challenge to the, to the Christian faith later in the first century and, and into the second. So in contrast, Paul's prayer is that the Colossians be filled with the knowledge of God's will. And jumping ahead to verse 13 and 14, Paul describes this knowledge and will. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness... He wants you to know that. He has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So back to, back to knowledge and we'll finish with knowledge. Um, to know something isn't just to know it as a fact here. Um, even Satan has a knowledge of God. Satan has a knowledge of Christ. Satan knows that Jesus died on Calvary's cross and was raised on the third day. Satan knows all of that. He doesn't have a trust in that, nor is he in the realm of that. Um, we're just, I'm just kind of making that comparison. Satan isn't intimately acquainted with the will of the Father, if you will. So that word intimate um, takes us to the Old Testament, a way of looking at knowledge. To know, to know something is to be intimately acquainted with it. To know God's name is an intimate thing. When somebody calls you by name, you're walking down the street and somebody calls you by name and you spin around and there's somebody who's looking at you, they call you by name and you cannot put a name to that face. I know that's never happened to you, but it happens to me. And at that point, that person has power over me. All right? God gives us his name so that we can call upon him. Um, to, know, to know him is to be intimately connected to him. To know someone in the Old Testament was to be, to, 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 be a, a, to know someone sexually meant to have an intimate relationship. Adam knew Eve and she begat Cain. God tells us in Genesis chapter 4. So Paul prays that the Colossians have an intimate knowledge of God's revelation in Christ. A knowledge that's centered in who he is, in uh, who we have redemption in and forgiveness of sins. And uh, to know God means then also to have conversation with him as Paul is doing here in prayer. Um, the next word Paul uses is the word wisdom, in all spiritual wisdom. He uses the word wisdom six times in this letter. 
um, if you use a word a number of times, it probably means that, that this is going to be important, an important thing. If your wife tells you that she wants to go sailing on Mother's Day and she tells you six times, um, that means she wants to go sailing. Uh, um, I'm putting a bug in her ear. No, I'm not. She loves to go sailing. Um, she used to, she used to, it was her goal always to go tubing on Mother's Day behind the raft. Uh, that was, that was for a long time. Um, so if you repeat something often, it's for emphasis. And for Paul, spiritual wisdom is going to be significant because there are going to be other people who are going to be putting forth another wisdom. The true wisdom is going to be under attack here. Um, I have a, what I want to do with wisdom is, is I want to go a little deeper with wisdom because ultimately, um, we're going to see Christ in the word wisdom. He's prophet, priest, king. He's wisdom. Um, and so I don't want to go into that right now. It's going to take a little bit of time. So why don't we end at this point and we'll start up again next week with this verse uh, and, and we'll talk about wisdom. The Lord be with you. Thank you. Nice. So what'd you think? I'd love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. Amen.